0: friends, the uh, Wimbledon finals on right now, which is always tough for me, which should suggest a shorter homily, but unfortunately I don't think you're that lucky today. You know, I was um, struck this week that I think it's really timely that we hear the parable of the Good Samaritan the week after we spent kind of a weekend celebrating our country, and the reason is this, because love of our country is kind of loving within our own tribe. In fact, the Catechism of the Catholic Church treats a love of country and duty to one's country under the fourth command, honor your father and your mother. It sees our love of our homeland as a kind of extension of the love of our family, right? There's a, a basic level of honor and respect that's due to the ones who gave us life and gave us some kind of foundational structure upon which to build our life, which, uh, warts and all, uh, includes our, our homeland, our country. And so as vast as our country is, right, there are things that unite us as Americans, and so it's part of that honor of mother and father of country, right, that's a part of the fourth commandment. But that's kind of love of our tribe, right, love of people that we share something in common with. So we we do that last weekend. We celebrate our country. But then, this weekend, we hear the parable of the Good Samaritan, which says, okay, but you're not supposed to just love your tribe. That the the moral imperative to love one's neighbor extends beyond the love of one you have a natural affinity for. See, we have a natural affinity for our family, for our country, right? Again, there's something we share some, some commonality, but the outside, right, the one who's outside the realm of that, are we called to love them? And that was sort of an open question in the ancient world a little bit, including in the Old Testament, right? That's why this lawyer is able to pose this question to Jesus. There was a little bit of a sense, certainly in the ancient world, that of course you love your parents, you love your community, you love your country, but beyond that, we're not so sure how far the moral imperative to love extends. Are we really called to love a stranger, an outsider, a foreigner? Right? We understand the natural bond with Universalize the moral imperative to love. That it doesn't just include people that we know, people that we have a natural affinity for, people that we find lovable. It extends to all. Everyone is our neighbor, precisely because they're made in the image and likeness of God, and therefore demand our respect, our love. That's the ethical, I think, side of this parable. But I wanted to mention um, a way that the early church writers saw this parable. They saw it not just as an ethical uh, imperative, but also as a kind of allegory for all of salvation history. They saw us, human beings, human nature, wounded and stranded and alienated on the side of the road. They saw the Good Samaritan as an image of Jesus... Who comes from a, a far off country, right? Not accepted. The Samaritans are not accepted as real authentic Jews, right? He comes from outside the territory, right? Heaven, in the case of Jesus. To heal our wounds, to lift us up, to take us to the end, to pay the price for our salvation and our healing. They saw this rich metaphor in this parable as kind of an entire summary of the Christian message. And I think we kind of got to recover that. In fact, there's a lot of talk in uh, Catholic circles these days. Um, the Catholic gossip circles, right? These exist. There's a lot of talk about that with 2,000 years of, of tradition and custom and history overlaying uh, Our our wonderful history—that sometimes we forget the basic gospel message. This is called in Greek the kerygma, the, the early proclamation. What Saint Paul said when he went to a new town, when they've never heard of Jesus. He had a very simple message: Right, Christ died for your sins, and He rose for your glorification. A couple sentences. And that, that message won thousands and millions of converts. It was so compelling, so powerful, that without any churches, without any seminaries, without any Catholic schools, millions of people came to believe in the power of Jesus. With the simplicity of the early Christian message. I had a professor in the seminary... And I'm going to use his voice because, and some of the students have heard this, but because it was a high rasping voice. But he always said, Gentlemen, if you walk up to somebody on the street and they ask you, explain Christianity in five or less words, what would you say? We'd all be dumbfounded. He said, It's easy creation, fall, redemption, sanctification. That's it. That's the whole of Christianity in four words creation, fall, redemption, sanctification, that we were created good by God, we fell from grace by sin, and therefore have come under the dominion of the catastrophe of sin and death. And it took someone from outside of our ranks to come in and rescue us and to redeem us. And the rest of our human life, the rest of church history, is all about becoming sanctified. It's about configuring our life to the image of the one who did that, precisely so that we can have union with him on earth, union with him in heaven, and to treat, to love our neighbor as he has first loved us. That's the entirety of the Christian gospel. Other people phrase it differently. We had our priest convocation. All the priests of the diocese gathered up in uh, Michigan a few weeks ago. And there, the speakers were this group called Acts 29 out of Michigan, mainly lay uh, people, it's this national speaking group, and the idea is Acts of the Apostles only has 28 chapters, and so they're they're playing on that idea that Acts 29 is all of us called to to propose again uh, the message of of Jesus, and they use four different words than my uh, priest professor. They use uh, created, captured, meaning enslaved by the powers of sin and death, rescued, and then response. Same concept. Right, trying to recover the basic Christian message, and you can see how the early Christian writers saw that in this parable. Right, an innocent man created good comes on the scene. Right, and then evil befalls him. He's on the on the street, stranded, beaten up, alienated. You might see the whole human condition in that two lines that were wounded. Our nature is wounded. We're stranded. We feel alienated from God. We feel alienated from each other. We might even feel alienated from ourselves. Stranded on the side of the road. And a bunch of other people come and pass by and don't help us. But it takes a Samaritan, in this case Jesus, from a far distant country, the realm of heaven, to come down to rescue us, to lift us up. It says beautifully, he lifts lifts the, the man up onto his donkey. See Jesus carrying the cross as lifting us up on his shoulders, taking us to the inn, paying the two cents with the, with the cost of his life in the cross to bring us back and to restore us to healing. But then it doesn't end there because he says, what are you supposed to do about it? You're, go, you're supposed to go treat other people with mercy. You're supposed to go treat everyone else as if they're a neighbor. Just like God came and loved us when we didn't deserve it, we are called to go and love others even when we don't think they deserve it. That's part of the process of sanctification, of our response to what God has done for us. We are called then to go and do for others. So the early church writers saw in this parable a rich metaphor a rich allegory for the entirety of the Christian life. And sometimes I think we got to get back to basics. right? I love our, our history, 2,000 years. I love everything that's developed. Before. I'm glad we have churches. right? I'm glad we have Catholics. Right? I'm glad of all of this. But sometimes with all of that, we can lose track of what was so compelling and powerful in the initial proclamation of the gospel. right? This simple message, that God has done something about the catastrophe of sin and death. He's the we are the ones abandoned, wounded on the side of the road, stranded. And He's come and He's picked us up and He's brought us back to health through His cross and resurrection. He's restored us precisely so that we can show other people the love that He has first shown to us. So, friends, let's take that maybe that ethical call from the gospel to see everyone as our neighbor, right, outside of our tribe, right, I, I think we know the implications of that, like, how easy is it to love people within your political tribe, right, pretty easy, love people outside of your political tribe, not so easy, right, to love people that make themselves difficult to love, or that you find difficult to love, who you think have have, uh, have forfeited their right to be loved, right, to love all of those people, Jesus says those are also our neighbors, Worthy of the respect uh, and love that Jesus calls us to. And let's recover that, the power of the Christian message. Right? The incredible drama of what God's done in the person of Jesus. Right? This, we hear the readings, we read the Bible, and sometimes we think it's boring, It's blasé. It's like, this story converted millions with no infrastructure. Right? M- millions with no infrastructure. Right? It's a powerful message. Right? And so to recover the basic Christian kerygma, the Christian gospel, to see in it not just the story of our origin, but a story of our destiny and where we're called to go from here, which is to treat all people made in the image and likeness of God, worthy of our love and respect, to treat all people as our neighbors.